Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out all the other stuff we're up to over at blisterreview.com. We've got a pretty fun one for you today, and it's really just the latest installation of an ongoing discussion I've been having with our bike editor, Noah Bodman, for a couple of years now. A long time ago, Noah and I were talking and trying to prioritize which bikes from which particular companies we ought to be reviewing. And given that there are a ton of bike companies out there, I think I said something to Noah like, so who currently is the moment skis of the bike world? I have no recollection whatsoever what Noah's answer was back then, but that little question launched a whole new pastime or trivia game or I don't even really know what you call it exactly, but it started this ongoing discussion of which bike company is currently most like which ski company. And the word currently is really important here. Companies rise and fall and evolve over time. So whatever Noah's answer was to that question I asked several years ago, which bike company is the moment skis of the bike world? Well, that is almost certainly going to change. And that's the game. Is it kind of weird? Yes. Is it kind of stupid? Maybe. But is it also pretty interesting and kind of hard to stop once you get started? Well, we've been refreshing this conversation for a couple of years now, so yeah, we think so. And now, you lucky listeners, you get to hear Noah and I go over our latest round of what we now call, because neither Noah or I were clever enough to come up with a better name, Bikes versus Skis. And we definitely want to hear from you, to see where you agree with us, where you disagree with us, and who out there can come up with the better, more accurate analogies. And there are also some tangential bonus questions buried in here that I ask Noah, such as, which bike company do most bike brands secretly wish they could trade places with? So be sure to let us know your own answers and arguments in the comments section to the show notes of this episode, because then, in a week or two, we're going to run part two of this conversation, and we'll share some of your comments, incorporate some of your questions, and do a whole nother round of Bikes versus Skis. This episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by the 750 miles of trail in the Gunnison and Crested Butte Trails Network. 750 miles. I'm no mathematician, but that is an outrageously big number, and lots of places that are known for their mountain biking offer far, far fewer miles of riding. Of course, you're no dummy, so you're thinking to yourself, quantity isn't everything. And that's true. But the fact is that the quality of the riding around Gunnison and Crested Butte is top shelf. So whether you are pretty new to mountain biking or have an overinflated sense of your own badassery on a bike, I guarantee that there are trails in the Gunnison Valley that you are going to love. And one thing that I want to put on your radar right now, Crested Butte is hosting Outer Bike on August 17 through August 19, and you should go. This is a fantastic event, and you'll have the opportunity to ride bikes from a number of the companies that we're going to be talking about in this very episode. Brands like Yeti, Pivot, Evil, Giant, Transition, and more. We'll be issuing some reminders about Outer Bike in CB soon, but to learn more about the riding in general in the Gunnison Valley, 
just head over to mtbhome.com, have a look around, and start planning your trip to Crested Butte. And now let's get to my conversation about bikes and skis with our bike editor, Noah Bodman. Okay, Noah. Um, well, I guess it's time to refresh this almost age-old debate that we've got going on which particular ski company most mirrors or shares the most family resemblance with which particular bike company. So let's just go ahead and dive in. And to get started, let's go ahead with one of the big boys, Specialized. Yeah, so... I mean, Specialized is, is kind of the bike industry juggernaut. They're, they're the, uh, in, at least in terms of mid to high-end bikes, they're the biggest company out there right now. And, uh, and they throw their weight around sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. They have a bit of a history of suing small people who, who think about using some branding name that Specialized has uh, their hold on. So... So yeah, um, I mean, on the ski side of things, I mean, who you're you're the ski guy? Who would you say is the uh, is the big powerhouse of the ski world? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we're getting off with a kind of rocky analogy to start with because, like, my sense of specialized is they're huge, and so it seems like some people might just kind of not dig specialized because they simply happen to be big. And yet it sure seems to me like, I don't know a lot of people saying these aren't good bikes. Right. Right. And I mean, I think there's no question that specialized makes good bikes, but I do think that um, they work pretty hard to make a product that kind of, uh, appeals to the average rider which isn't to say they don't make some entirely competent race bikes there's a bunch of guys going super fast on their stuff so it's not that they're making sort of dumbed down bikes Mm -hmm. uh but but they do kind of try to keep their bikes uh a little less techy and a little more uh maybe approachable for the average rider i think Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I mean, they're a big company, so obviously they make a huge range of bikes at a huge range of price points. Um, but yeah, they really seem like they do well with kind of their middle bike. That's, it's not really a race bike. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the stump jumper is a good yep. example of a bike that's, that's, it's a good solid ride that sort of anyone from a sort of low intermediate or beginner rider is going to have a good time on up to, you know, you've got guys that are just shredding on those things and, and uh, really good riders that are liking those bikes as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they kind of hit that middle ground pretty well. So I think just given their sheer size, I think if we're going to make the ski analogy, the analogy has to go with one of the largest uh, ski manufacturers out there, which means we're going to be talking about Solomon Atomic, Head, or Rossignol. And I guess of those four, I would tend to, if I, I guess I would go with Rossi as being yeah. probably our best equivalent there. Um, not an exact yeah. equivalent, but 
you know, no, you... there's no question in my mind though. Like when I like when I think about this, these stupid comparisons that we waste too much time talking about. Like <laughs> how, the stump how dare jumper, you? The <laughs> stump jumper is the Soul Seven. Like mm. that bike is that ski. Like it's the equivalent. Like everybody, everybody and their mother owns a stump jumper, and everybody and their mother owns a Soul Seven. That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't gone specifically to like one specific model from one company being the analog to the one specific model of another. So that actually kind of makes sense. I like it. I think this puts us on a surer ground with that analogy then. Stump jumper to yeah. Soul 7. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with it. But but yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. Um I want to talk about evil. Um, evil, you know, seems like from my vantage point, uh, is, uh, probably one of the cool kids bikes, uh, of the moment. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, Somebody rolls up to the trailhead on, on some new evil and, you know, it's, it's either going to be like stealth black or like some super enduroy color. And yeah, that's the bike that, you know, if it's at the trailhead, cool, they've got an evil, um, you know, we'll we'll ignore the fact that the older evils all snapped. Like the the new evils are like the cool kids bikes. By the way, I don't think either you or I are using cool kids in like the pejorative sense. Every single manufacturer in the world wants to be in that spot of being like, yeah, this is this is hot. You know, if you see those skis in the lift line or you see that bike at the trailhead, you're like, damn, that's sweet. And so I oh, guess. Yeah. So, I mean, in my view, I guess I'll put the question to you. Um, if you were to answer that question of like, who's got the current, who is currently holding the cool kids belt? Is there a clear number one company in bike right now? Or do you think it's a bit like, is there a one or two or, or is there a, a podium, you know, three spots? How, what, what's your well, uh, humble opinion on this for the moment, this moment in time? Yeah. Um, I mean, evil certainly right up there. Transition, I would probably put up there. Um, but then, you know, this is also like another aspect of this conversation is that, that some of these brands are, are kind of regional. So, mm -hmm. you know, the cool kid bike in the Pacific Northwest is maybe different than the cool kid bike on the East Coast or in Colorado um, so, so that plays into it a little bit, but if I'm going to sort of make some broad generalizations here, I would probably say evil and transition are like the, the cool kid bike brands right now. Okay. So let's, we're going to, we're talking about evil and let's, we'll get, we're going to do evil and transition then like kind of back to back. So, um, well, you gotta say who are the cool kid ski brands. Though? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell me before I answer that, cause I think, I think they're, there are a couple, right? There's there's two or three that kind of jump out, I'd say. And so tell me more about this positioning of evil because um, that will help align with who's going to go with evil, who's going to go with tra transition, for example. I, I mean, I think the, the market, the buying market for evil and transition are pretty similar. There's a lot of overlap there. But I mean, they're making the bikes that are like pretty enduro-y. They don't, make real cross-country oriented bikes because the cool kids aren't wearing spandex mm -hmm. I, i'm probably biased here there's 
I'm sure there's some very cool people that wear spandex, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're making out, they're, they're making like kind of enduro and aggressive trail bikes. Um, so yeah, they, they, you know, they put out all kinds of sweet edits or whatever it is that the cool kids call them Mm -hmm. these days. Um, and you know, like the evils and the transitions, they're you know they're they're good looking bikes. Mm-hmm. They have their uh, bright paint jobs, and yeah, I mean they stand out. Yep. So then, give me your the generalization on transition. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, transition. They've been doing some interesting kind of techie stuff with with uh, their geometry and fork offsets recently, maybe that factors into it a little bit, but you know, as much as anything, it's just the, the sort of persona that the brand has built around themselves that it's like, you know, they're kind of like, they don't give a fuck. And uh, you know, cause it's cool to not give a fuck. Um, but they make solid products. Mm-hmm. As I've been thinking about transition, would it be fair to say that that brand tends to get points in the kind of durability category? Yeah, yeah. I mean, traditionally, transition made some uh, pretty overbuilt, burly bikes. You know, they've gotten away from that a little bit, which isn't to say that their bikes are now weak or anything. They're probably they're probably as strong, if not stronger, than they ever have been, but you know, they weigh five pounds less than the older transitions did. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, transition definitely made a name for themselves by making some pretty overbuilt sleds. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now they're making a name for themselves just by making pretty uh, aggressive and competent trail and enduro bikes. Mm -hmm. bikes. So I think the way I'm going to go on this is, I would be inclined to line ON three P skis up with transition. Um, yep. The more the more you're still willing to give transition some some like durability cred points, because I think that is certainly true of ON three P, and I think they've kind of earned that. Like their skis are not easy to break, you know. Um, so I think I'm going Owen three P for transition. And then with evil, it's, it's a, it's closer here, I think, but I'm going to go either black crows or faction. And I think I'm going to go black crows. Um, because I think there's another company that I want to save for faction, (laughs) but I think that gets us kind of in the ballpark. I think, no question in the lift line at this point in time, if um, if you see those Black Crows or Factions or ON3Ps, you tend to get that nod. Um, and it seems to me that's kind of similar to the uh, to kind of e- where Evil and Transition are currently sitting at least. Yeah, yeah. I'm 100% on board with everything that you just said. Okay, <laughs> good. Smart man. Um, yeah, we, we agreed on this one. Okay. Uh, another fun one. This is, this is, uh, this particular one has occupied far too many hours of our, of our conversation in the past. Yeti. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeti is a tricky one because, I mean, the trickiest ones, there's kind of a, a couple different ways that you can sort of define the brand. And, you know, with Yeti, I think they have a real strong cult following, especially in Colorado. You know, I kind of mentioned how some brands are more regional than others. Mm -hmm. And it's not that Yeti's, you know, just in Colorado, but man, you go to Colorado and you see a lot of Yetis at the trailheads. Uh, and obviously Yeti's based in Colorado. Um, but then Yeti is also traditionally, they really built their brand around their race team and like any fast racer in the nineties, probably at some point was on a Yeti. Um, that's not so much the case anymore. You know, Yeti still has a super fast team, but mm -hmm. it's not quite as, uh, it's not quite as noteworthy or dominant as it was back in the day. Um, and, but then also, you know, Yeti's just, they're sort of unapologetically making super high end, super expensive bikes. Like they, they make very limited attempts at producing, affordable bikes uh and, mm -hmm. and and that's also not unique to other you know that's not unique to yeti there's other boutique brands that are, that are making high-end stuff but uh um yeah yeti's definitely in that category where it's like their expensive bikes are really expensive mm -hmm. um and so you know I don't know where that goes with the ski brands. Um, you know, since there's a couple different directions you could go with it. And, and I should also add that like Yeti's doing well. I mean, the, the yep. company's doing well, they're making great bikes. Uh, people are still into it. So like there's some ski brands that kind of initially came to mind that, you know, were kind of like maybe the racer brand, but that built uh, skis that, that, that like kind of your average ripper was super into like a Dina star or something like that. But Dina star has really kind of been in decline recently, whereas Yeti's still going strong. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know. What do you think? Well, you had in a past conversation, you were like, Yeti is clearly vocal. And yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think, in my book, Yeti is clearly DPS skis. And I think right down to the kind of marketing and the kind of, I would almost say like Apple-esque aesthetics, like that I think, and that's kind of another related question I want to ask you, like Apple as in Apple Inc., you know, computers, who in the bike world is Apple? Because in the ski world, I think DPS is clearly Apple, right? Again, from their own like product aesthetics to their kind of marketing and the rest. So I like the Apple to DPS analog in ski. Is it unfair to say that the Yeti to Apple analog in bike is the right call? Yeah, I mean, I don't really like <laughs> I don't like that one. Um, I mean... I am an Android guy. I find apples and iPhones to be super annoying to use. So I would say the Apple of the bike world is Crank Brothers and that they have beautifully packaged products that uh, have a strong reputation for being a little bit terrible and breaking. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's maybe unfair to Apple. Um, <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's, so, par- that's part of the story, though, right? With, with an Apple and, frankly, with a DPS. Like, you have passionate, rabid fans who wouldn't dare, dare go buy an Android product, right? Um, and so you have the people that are like, screw DPS, screw Apple. And, and I, don't, I don't know if actually there's, you know, so I think Crank Brothers, granted, it's not a frame manufacturer, but, um, right. but does, does Yeti get that kind of, that kind of backlash? How, I don't um, care, like not saying major or anything in the way that like, I don't think Apple's mad that there are some loud people on the internet talking about how Android's better. I think Apple's just, just feeling just fine with their, yeah. you know, position I, I in the okay world. With that. Um, I think they're okay. I mean, of, of the current bike brands out there, I mean, Yeti probably fits into that mold as well as anyone, but I'm still not sure. It, it, it's not like a nice, tidy fit. You know? Yep. Okay. So then back to vocal, is Yeti more vocal or is Yeti more DPS? I mean, there's definitely some parallels to be drawn between DPS and Yeti, but I feel like their target markets, it's sort of different. You know, Mm -hmm. DPS really kind of built themselves on like... You know, they make these lightweight carbon skis. They're touring skis. They're good for the uphill crowd. Um, and, you know, like powder touring, you mm-hmm. know, with the Lotuses and everything. Like, yeah. you know, they made some of the best powder touring skis out Ever. there. Yeah. Um, whereas Yeti has always been more uh, kind of racier. Um, I mean, they haven't, I wouldn't put Yeti squarely into like a cross country or downhill mold because they've kind of done all of that over yep. the years. But um, I mean, they build light bikes because because they're good race bikes, um, but it's not quite the same kind of touring idea. I don't know. I, I, I have trouble drawing a parallel between Yeti's products and DPS's products, even if kind of the marketing and uh, pretty, pretty aesthetics is maybe similar. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something to be said there, you know, where I was going with vocal and our previous conversation was similar to kind of what I said with Dima star is like, well, you know, vocal kind of made racing skis for the everyday skier. You know, yep. they made all mountain skis with like a race construction yep. to some extent. And and that's kind of like the parallel that I'm drawing with Yeti is like they make they make race bikes for your everyday rider. Mm-hmm. And maybe actually, too, I think one of the hang ups I had is that vocals just been around way, way longer than Yeti. And yet Yeti's I guess been around we, for a pretty long time. Not vocal long. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Well. Most of the ski manufacturers, the the old ones, have been around for longer. But I mean, yeah. Yeti, I mean, Yeti was founded in I don't know eighty six, eighty seven, something like yeah. that. Um, I mean, as far as bike companies, as far as mountain bike companies go, yeah, yeah, you know, like shit. The first mountain bike was produced. I mean, that was what early. I should probably know this. Eighty one, I think. So, if Yeti came onto the scene and the mid to late eighties, like they're still pretty early on in the game. That's a good point. And I think the other 
kind of where where this fits well with vocal is if you think of vocals kind of market share size you know compared to a solomon trek rosignol you know that analogy actually works quite well probably in terms of biggest to smallest mm-hmm. manufacturers in the game probably yep. it's not that it, it's actually fairly similar where yeti sits compared to where vocal is sitting yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. You're talking me into it. So, well, so then did you have, if we might get to this with other companies naturally, but do you have the bike company where you're like, no, DPS is clearly bike company X? You know, I really don't. I mean, there's a couple bike companies where it's like, yeah, I just can't find a good analogy for this in the ski world. And there's a few ski companies where I just can't find a good analogy for it in the bike world. And DPS is one of those companies where it's just, I, I, I can't come up with a bike company that I really like the comparison on. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, there's a little bit of DPS in a couple different bike companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, none where it's like, oh yeah, clearly this is the DPS of the bike world. Well, there you go, listeners. Um, we're going to be asking your opinions on on all of these analogies and uh, bonus points for coming up with the most accurate DPS analogy. Um, so, note that in in the comments section to you know the episode uh, show notes. Um, leave your answers there on this because um, this is going to be fun to see what you guys all think. All right, moving on. This is a fun one. Santa Cruz. Man, this is a hard one. Um, but, you know, Santa Cruz is like, they were this boutique brand. I mean, I guess you could still call them a boutique brand, but they're really not boutique or small anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm coming at this as someone who doesn't really have any like inside knowledge of the inner workings of the company, but just as an outsider, it really just strikes me as a company that's been really well run just as a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they've gone from being one of kind of a a large handful of smaller brands in the late nineties and early two thousands. And they've built themselves into what's, I mean, in terms of mid to high end bikes, like they're sort of nipping at the heels of some of the bigger players, like specialized track giant. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, I think a lot of that is probably just the company has been well run and they've made smart decisions, but but it's certainly because they've just made pretty consistently solid bikes. Um, and they've, they've made some good efforts to make, again, in the mid to high end market, they're, they're making some at least semi reasonably priced bikes up to some very <laughs> expensive and super nice bikes. Um, but yeah, they've, they've just kind of built a good reputation. They're solid. Um, and, and so, I'm not quite sure who that is on the ski side of things like, you know, a ski company that's making that, that is sort of a boutique brand, but has just been kind of consistent in their offerings. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite sure who the nice analogy for Santa Cruz is, but I had actually penciled in maybe moment um, hmm. just as kind of a boutique brand that is actually a, a bigger company these days. Um, they're not as small as they once were. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What do you think? Um. Well, let me let me ask you a related question. If you took a poll of all of the owners of all of the bike companies out there, would there end up being kind of a consensus pick for which company they're most jealous of or who they'd most like to be or kind of switch places with? And I, and I mean this not just in terms of how profitable the company is, but kind of in terms of like four things collectively. Like one, you got to be doing well financially. Two, they're current reputation or standing among riders uh and then three the current trajectory of well maybe this is four things so the the reputation current reputation among riders current market share position and then four the current trajectory you know where they're headed and kind of who's looking like they have a bright future in the next five to ten years answer has got to be Cruz. yes I, th- I mean the big companies like specialized i think would love to have kind of the upward trajectory that Santa Cruz has, has had over the past decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe specialized has, but it really, it's, it's noticeable with Santa Cruz. They're, they're a bigger, more present, more common brand than they were 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then the smaller companies, um, you know, not so much necessarily from like a quality or design standpoint, but it's just, yeah, Santa Cruz has kind of emerged from the pack and come out ahead as, as a bigger company. Um, which isn't to say that a Santa Cruz is a better bike or a more desirable bike than, uh, you know, a handful of these other smaller companies like a Yeti right. Pivot or, you know, transition or an evil, whatever. But, uh, but just as a company, it's like, yeah, they're they're kind of a notch up these days, I would say. Yep. Yeah, that seems right to me. And I and I think like what seems so enviable about the Santa Cruz position is how, like it seems like they've managed to get that significant growth and yet still kind of keep that boutique reputation slash cool kids points. And man, I think any company that can grow and still be cool, like that's the that's the holy grail. Okay, so here's where I'm going to go. I think there's two companies that, and neither is the exact fit, but I think with Santa Cruz, I'm tempted to talk about actually Nordica and DPS. And where the reason why I'm inclined to bring up Nordica is because with their current Enforcer series, this Enforcer 93, Enforcer 100, Enforcer 110, and Enforcer Pro, I think there are a lot of ski companies looking around at that lineup in particular, thinking like they've kind of nailed this right now. Like, it's getting a lot of attention. They're good skis. Lots of people can hop on them. Experts to intermediates and, and frankly, I think some beginners, uh, which I've written about. But I think this lineup is is kind of hit a sweet spot. And I think that there's a lot of uh, ski companies that just would have to be kind of envious of that position granted the enforcer series is you know this current iteration and these are new skis they've only been out a few years 
Um, but if 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 Santa Cruz or I'm sorry, if Nordica is able to kind of build on and continue the success they've had with that enforcer line, that would start to maybe be replicating something similar to Santa Cruz. Now, the reason I'm bringing up DPS again, and I can't believe how much we're talking about DPS here, but I would also maintain that it's possible that Santa Cruz is DPS, but with a decade head start, right? I mean, Santa Cruz, I think, was founded around 1993. And if DPS continues to play their hand right, which I don't think is a given, but if they did, I think their current position is such that they have a shot to sort of break out of the sort of the more boutique, smaller manufacturer and start to push into that space. And yeah, I think with with Moment, the only thing is, I don't know if I, right now, if I see Moment continuing to eat into that market share or or kind of if I had to wager, right, over the next five to 10 years, when you, you mentioned Moment was your pick, but in ter- I mean, I do think it's just a big part of the Santa Cruz story is just volume, right? Yeah. And yep. I, I'm not sure right now that we can say that, um, I mean, Moment works on kind of the cool kids reputation and branding point, but in terms of getting like really eating up and gaining market share on some of the big dogs up top, um, that's going to be an interesting one to see over the next five to 10 and, you know. Um, I think if I had to bet my own money, I might bet on DPS over Moment in that specific particular sense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you ready to move on? I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Let's let's do something else. <laughs> okay. Um, going back to a very big player, Giant. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, they're. I believe the biggest uh, bike company in the world. They make, I mean, they obviously make high-end bikes and and uh, they ship those to the states. But they also make millions and millions of of kind of I don't know low-end bikes. I guess you know commuter bikes for the Asian market. Um, they're they're massive and. Uh, you know, again, as with most of these companies, there's a couple different directions we can kind of look at this. But uh, so one thing is the giant, they're a major player. You know, I, I kind of look at it as giant specialized in track as being the big players. But mm-hmm. uh, giant maybe isn't quite, they don't, they don't push the envelope and they don't try to innovate and change things up from year to year as much as specialized in track. They're a little more just kind of consistent. They have their models. They oftentimes don't change a lot from from one year to the next um and they do a pretty good job of pricing their bikes competitively um so they're maybe not always the latest and greatest thing uh but they're good bikes and they're priced well um but then the other thing is kind of getting back the giant is a major manufacturer and they actually they're factory will produce bikes for other companies uh mm-hmm. there's there's a number of other brands that at least at one point in time and maybe to this day have their bikes 
manufactured in the giant factory. Uh, and some would argue that some of those bikes that are being made in the giant factory are better bikes than the giant branded bikes that are made in the giant factory. Hmm. And so on that note, I had kind of penciled in Elon skis uh, because the Elon factory has made quite a few skis for other brands. Yep. And uh, I think there's probably a number of people that would argue that the other skis that Elon has made for other brands are better than the Elon skis that Elon has made for themselves. Um, Interesting. But, yeah. What do you think? Um. I think that's really interesting. I think though, and this is very much coming from a, you know, North American perspective, not a European yeah. perspective. Mm -hmm. My, my biggest thought on that though, is like giant is still a big, well-known name. And at least in the North American market, I think the analogy doesn't work in that sense only because I don't think Elon has nearly the kind of brand recognition that a giant bikes does in North America. But but yeah, they're not uh, they're not as common in yep. North America as a giant bike is. So yeah, in terms of brand recognition, they're yeah. they're they're not comparable. So I actually think the to me, I think that's a really interesting point, though, about manufacturing for other companies. And I think the Elon analogy works there. I was going to say that I think Giant has got to be either K2 or Head skis. Head works in the sense that Head is just doing massive volume on a lot of different fronts. K2, though, I think is interesting in the sense that... Um, you know, this one's this one's certainly subjective, but I wanted to get your take on this. Among, you know, these the largest bike manufacturers in the world, I think we do have to look a little bit at kind of trajectories, right? And kind of is the brand on the rise? Is the brand a little bit down from where it previously was? And my sense is that specialized in terms of just current brand standing seems to me specialized maybe has the edge over a giant in yeah. terms of in uh, terms of in terms of trek kind of brand standing who do you want to give the nod to trek or giant trek okay um you know i, I think like i said trek and specialized they both uh, for better or for worse, do some innovation and changes from year to year. Um, and, and they're trying to push their bikes forward, undoubtedly, so they can sell more bikes from year to year because, you know, the new model year has the latest and greatest. Where, whereas Giant, like I said, they, you know, they tend to stick a little more steady from year to year. But it also means, you know, somebody rolls up to the trailhead on, on a giant and it's not like, ooh, you've got the new giant. It's like, yep. cool, you, you've got a good functional bike that was uh, probably competitively priced. That's mm -hmm. very sensible. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> and I think like on the, on the ski side, I think K2 is probably the best analogy here. I don't think that they, right now, at this point in time, 
enjoy the same kind of status that they once did. And so, you know, and given that, I think K2 is making some interesting moves. And so I actually, you know, if we're kind of in the like buying stock, you know, or, or betting on trajectories, I think we're going to see K2 starting to rise. Um, so I think I like the trajectory of a K2 and frankly on head. I mean, head, you know, made a nice play for themselves in their whole core series, uh, core series of skis. Um, so I think they are definitely neither K2 nor head is sitting back, just letting everybody else kind of catch up or pass them by. And I, I, I don't know, I don't know enough about giant, you know, the stuff they're kind of coming with or will, or will be rolling out in the next year or two. Um, so, but I don't know. I think I'm going to go with K2 as my final answer on giant. Um, but it sounds like giant needs to, you know, step their game up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm probably making it sound like giants a little more stagnant than they actually are. And, and the bikes they're making, you know, they're good bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like the K2 analogy also just because i mean man i I guess i haven't done a a comprehensive price analysis recently but it sure seems like the k2s tend to be priced just a little more kind of budget conscious than some of the other brands out there um which again like i said is is something that i kind of associate with giant as well i don't i don't necessarily think that's true in terms of like k2's higher end stuff but sure. where it where it works is you can definitely find less expensive K2 skis on the market, right? So it's not that across the board, K2s are going to be cheaper than everything else. But it is the fact that like K2 cares about that beginner and low intermediate market. And they are, you know, like a number of companies, certainly trying to come in to hit attractive price points on those skis. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um let's hit the other big guy Trek. You know, I had a hard time. You know, there's a lot of companies where it's like, all right, I can kind of sum this company up in one or maybe two different ways. Trek is harder in that regard. You know, they're not quite I don't think as big as specialized in terms of market share. Yeah, and they don't throw their weight around quite as much as Specialized tends to. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you know, they're still innovating and doing new and different things. Um, you know, they've been a little more of like a family-owned company that's that's a little more uh, tightly knit, it seems like. And they're over in Wisconsin, so they're located in a place that, uh, you know, Trek obviously makes tons of road bikes and that sort of thing. But at least from a mountain bike perspective, you know, they're located in this place that isn't really recognized as like a mountain bike Mecca. I'm sure there's Hmm. good riding over there, but um, you know, they're not in California basically, or Colorado is kind of what I'm getting at. Um, But I think they make great bikes. I mean, I'm reviewing a Trek right now that I think is awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I, you know, some companies are just kind of hard to pigeonhole and this stupid conversation is all about pigeonholing companies in stupid ways. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I've been struggling to do that with Trek. And so, 
you know, I kind of just, it, it's lazy, but I just kind of called them Solomon. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, they're a bigger bike company. So, so the, the easy analogies are the bigger ski companies and Solomon's one of the bigger ski companies that I kind of also have a hard time pigeonholing. I think for Trek, it's got, I mean, I think the, it's got to be Solomon or atomic. And if it doesn't have to be Solomon or atomic, I think the only other story you could tell would be head. And I think, The question maybe I have is, you know, I don't have a great sense of how important for, say, of the big bike companies, Specialized, Giant, Trek, how important the road bike business is for them. Because I think there we get a bit of an analogy of, like, obviously for head skis, you know, the race ski, straight up race ski is a, is a big component of their business as it is for atomic. Um, and so I think part of the, if we're trying to find the right analog here, if you said, yeah, Trek is making good mountain bike stuff, but they really are doing massive volume on the road side. You know what I mean? And they are. They are. I mean, Trek is is huge on the roadside. I mean, yeah, Lance Armstrong was riding a Trek. Yep. So, you know, I think kind of for bike companies, like road bikes, the road bike component of these bike companies is kind of the analog to the race, straight up dedicated race ski component on these ski companies. And um, so, I don't know. I don't have anything smarter to say. I think the answer is, is Solomon, Atomic, or Head. And maybe we'll just punt this one to our listeners to see if they can sort this one out for us. Um, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> good. It's always good when we can get other people to do the work for us. So, yeah. okay, moving on. Um, YT. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean... They're uh, a fairly new company. They're online only. They're not selling any bikes in retail brick and mortar stores. Uh, and they've, they've come onto the market pretty aggressively um, in that they're offering good bikes. You know, I've ridden a few of them and, and they were entirely competent, solid bikes. And they're priced really, really competitively. Um, again, they're hitting sort of the mid higher end market. Um, you know, they're not offering entry level bikes at all, but, but man, for the money you're spending, you can get a really nicely equipped bike, uh, they make a few different models now. So, and, and then there's the fact that, uh, they hired Aaron Gwynn. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so this, this fairly small new company on the market, just, just, uh, shelled out the money for the top downhiller in the world. So, uh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a couple different directions to go on this, you know, for skis, I, I have a strong idea of who you might say, but, but I had kind of penciled in forefront just in that forefronts now doing their online sales and they're being pretty aggressive with their pricing. It yep. seems like very aggressive. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's, I, th- I think there are other companies that also could parallel YT, but that's who I had. Yeah. So I think, I think 
forefront is the right answer in terms of the the price point model, mm -hmm. but it strikes me that I think I'm a little more tempted to go with faction. And for a couple of reasons. One, you know, faction is definitely, you know, kind of one of the hot companies right now. And they do get a lot of buzz, as it seems does YT. Um, yep. And then I think one of the things I like most about this analogy is uh, YT has Aaron Gwynn, one of the best to ever do it. Faction has a little guy named Candide, uh, which I would just say definitely the best to ever do it. And, you know, those two, um, you know, certainly fly the flag and are, and are big, big uh, faces of both of their respective companies at this point. And it was interesting, too. I had asked you a while back, uh, and you're allowed to revise the answer to this question, but kind of, um, I think the way I'd put this question, it seems weird now, but uh, I had said, like, if bike company X is coming out with a new bike, right? A new product in a given segment. Who is getting the most buzz? Like the bike world is most excited when bike company X is dropping something new. <laughs> and well, and you you had said, by the way, like to hold you to, you know, conversation and, or an answer you probably gave me like a year ago, you'd, you had said YT. Yeah. You, and you still going to go with that? I, uh. YT is still right up there because, I mean, because they offer these super competitively priced bikes and everybody likes to spend less money. And so it's like, yeah, YT comes out with something new. It's like all of a sudden in whatever segment, you know, whatever, you know, they're, they, they come out with a new trail bike and it's like, all right, now if you're looking for the 140 mil travel bike, like there is a, a new strong option, um, which you don't see that sort of thing too often. Uh, most of the established companies, they kind of have their lineup. Um, so, so you get a lot of buzz around that. Um, more recently, when we were prepping for this podcast and, and I wrote my notes, I wrote SRAM for that question, just because hmm. anytime SRAM comes out with something new, it inevitably means a new standard. And so everybody gets super pissed off about it. And so it's buzz. <laughs> it's, it's sort of buzz in like the sense that there's no such thing as bad publicity. Um, uh, and in SRAM's defense, I would argue that most of the new stuff they come out with does have a good, solid reason for it, just from an engineering perspective. And I would also say that a lot of times those new standards are driven not by SRAM, but by the bike companies that are asking SRAM to create products for the new standards that they've created, usually they so they can fit some new stupid tire width in their frame. That's a slight digression. So in terms mm -hmm. of actual bike companies... That SRAM doesn't make frames. Uh, yeah, let's go with YT. Okay. Um, we got to wrap this up. Uh, so yeah, we should move along. Let's should um, we do like a lightning round. A little bit, yeah. This is uh, a quick one because we're just spoiler alert. We're going to punt this to our readers too. But we we were having some trouble figuring out Cannondale and Ellsworth. And so I'm going to give you the floor here for a moment. Let's start with Cannondale. What do you have? Uh, well, they were uh, one of the bigger bike brands in the 90s. 
they're super, super aggressive about doing things their own way. And everything was always like weird. They've got their one-sided forks and they had their brakes and their uh, cranks and all this stuff that like didn't fit on other bikes. And then they made a motorcycle and then they went bankrupt <laughs> and they weren't very well run. And so, yeah, they went from one of the bigger companies to definitely not one of the bigger companies these days. And they're still doing things their own way, although slightly less aggressive about it. Um, so, well, I had penciled in Armada for them, but what we're, we're punting this to the listeners. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll just leave it at that. I don't know. I don't think Armada really works there. Um, because of, it seems like the standout thing is like the just weird, unique stuff that is unique to Cannondale, you know, like, yeah, they don't I mean, play it's harder to be super. Okay. I could, I could also throw out the lawn yeah. <laughs> that they yeah. came out with some innovation on like shaped skis and that sort of thing. And now it's like, well, what the hell is a lawn doing now? Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, lightning round, lightning round, Ellsworth. Yeah. Uh, El Ellsworth, uh, they were a company that, you know, they were one of sort of the boutique brands in the early 2000s. And they just had some pretty weird suspension designs. And they were like pretty adamant that what they made was the best thing out there. It's not like any company ever says, ah, our product isn't quite as good as this other one. You know, they all say it's the best thing. But Ellsworth was like, they would get into these like, techie explanations of why theirs was so good um when in reality i think a lot of people would argue that it was actually pretty bad uh the, the design didn't work all that well and the bikes had a tendency to break so now it's gone through at least one bankruptcy i think and if, or maybe it's just changed owners a bunch but anyways the company still exists they're sort of backing away from their weird designs and trying to dig the company out of a hole um and so i'm not sure who that is on the ski end of things um mostly in that they had like their unique thing and like it's it's like they were kind of dicks about it like if you're not riding this then like you're wrong <laughs> um and and the owner uh maybe it's just the name like this ellsworth thing uh -huh, yeah he uh -huh. kind of had a reputation for being an asshole <laughs> weird yeah <laughs> weird um well just for the record there is no relation uh at least there's no familial relation whether we share some of the same reputations uh, that uh well let's not ask any blister reviewers or editors about that uh, and I think we should just hurry and move on. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll put that. I am. I will be curious to see if anybody has, uh, anybody listening to this has good analogies for Ellsworth bikes. Um, we'll see what you guys come up with. Um, okay. Let's, um, I'm going to let you, you can pick, do you want to end with pivot or do you want to end with, surly slash salsa Ooh, um well of those three i don't have a good answer on pivot i think they're oh come on uh, that's a big a, one though you have to yeah, have no I, I mean i think they're a good consistent boutique brand they're innovative without going nuts on stuff 
They make solid bikes, and they rarely produce a bike that I would just call like a loser. But uh, yeah, it also makes them a little less interesting. I had penciled in Blizzard, um, but that's, but that's not, not a that's not a bad place to be. No, nope, it's not a bad place to be at all. Like I that like that's all. I I love Blizzard skis, and I think the Pivot bikes are good, solid bikes. Uh, so for Surly. Well, That's wait a sec. Wait a sec. Wait, I, th- I, I feel we lightning round. No, 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 no. We're, we're okay. wrapping okay. here, but. And maybe just out of my personal my, from for my personal uh, benefit, like sometimes it gets murky for me to think about like how to position where pivot sits relative to where like Ibis sits and you could and frankly even like relative to like a transition or a yeti so for let's let's skip the i i actually think i like the the blizzard ski analogy but how do you how would you tease out kind of pivots your carve out pivots standing versus a a yeti and ibis a transition um well yeti i think is um I mean, price point-wise, Yeti and Pivot are similar. Yeti builds their brand a little bit more around racing, or at least they they have in the past. And Yeti seem to have a little bit more of a cult following. Um, Pivot Pivot versus Ibis, that one's tougher. Um, Because it seems like a good... Uh, like it's a it's hard because they're close or it's hard because they're just dissimilar you're like dude that's just two apples because they're close Mm -hmm. i mean the the company history is a bit different and ibis has been around longer um but in terms of kind of like their modern offerings the ibis and the pivots again you know i uh, like i think they both just make good solid bikes like I said, they're innovative without doing any like super off the wall things that that piss people off because they're weird. Um, you know, they seem like they're well run companies um, that you know don't go through these huge fluctuations where they're you know they're way up and then they're way down, mm-hmm. um, which is something you know we see that a bit more on the ski side of thing where it's like these companies have higher highs and lower lows. It seems like like the cool brand from one year to the next maybe changes a bit more, whereas bikes maybe it's just because they're more expensive, and so you you know the bikes tend to change a little less from year to year, but the bike companies tend to seem a little more consistent. If that makes sense. Yep. Um. So yeah, and then like transition, I think they're just they're a smaller company. Mm-hmm. Um. They have a. Maybe slightly, well, they probably have a similar number of bikes they offer, but um, but their focus is, is a little more singular. You know, they're a little more like they make aggressive trail bikes, whereas Pivot makes like some entirely competent cross-country race bikes all the way up to a downhill bike and kind of uh, more or less everything in between. Okay. Okay. Well, tell you what, we both need to get going. Um, so let's wrap on this for now. Um, 
we will, we're going to come back. We can circle back to IBIS in part two of this series. Uh, and so listeners should weigh in on, on who they think the, the ski analogy for IBIS is. Uh, we're going to talk in next time about Surly. We're going to talk about Salsa. We've got a ton of other bike companies. And so you guys are yeah, also well. There's a ton of companies we didn't cover. Yeah, uh, Intense, Kona, Rocky Mountain, Da Vinci, Canfield, you know, on and on. And so let's say uh, if you're listening to this, you should go in to the show notes to this episode on the site. We might even put this up as a topic of the week. I don't know. We'll see if we do that. But weigh in. We want to hear your analogies and then feel free to list if you're like, you know, if you want us to weigh in next episode on this bike company or this ski company, you know, feel free to throw some of those out as well. And, uh, I think we'll leave it at that for now. I think we've, uh, I think this is a wrap on our dumb yet weirdly entertaining and kind of interesting, uh, conversation. And we'll see if actually anybody agrees with us about the entertaining, interesting part, or if that's just me and you. Well, all right. Um, anything else? Final words, Noah? Oh, this is a dumb conversation. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Till next bye-bye. Time. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Noah Bodman for the conversation. And be sure to head over to our site to leave your insightful remarks or angry diatribes in the comments section of the show notes to this Gear 30 episode. Then be sure to head over to mtbhome.com to learn more about the riding in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, where you will be able to go demo a bunch of the bikes from some of the brands we discussed at Outer Bike in CB, which runs from August 17 to August 19. Finally, thanks to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, and we will then talk to you guys again real soon. Take care, everybody.